0: now the second week of Advent, so last week we talked about hope, and this Sunday is about love. And love and Christmas really go hand in hand. If you think of probably the most quoted verse of all the Bible, John 3.16, it talks about God so loved the world that he gave his son. And the gift of uh, God's son, Jesus, is, is really the greatest act of love in all of history, that God was willing to give his Son to us. And that great act of love that God did was not only an act of love for us, but it was also uh, there to set an example of the kind of love that we should have as well. And at the end of this message, I'll talk a little bit more about why this is important, but it is important for every believer to do all that they can to imitate the love that God has shown to his people and to have that same love for other people. And unfortunately, Christians, just like every other person in the world, we are flawed and we don't always live up to that standard. In fact, my wife and I were talking just the other day about how many people we know of that have stopped going to church altogether and it's not because they disagreed with anything in the Bible but primarily it was just because of how they were treated by other believers and when other believers were not loving to them but you know passive aggressive and made rude remarks and all of those kinds of things that that led to them no longer going to church so we kind of have to face the reality that we as believers are not as loving as we ought to be. And so we want to make sure that we follow the greatest example of love, which could only be the love of God. And so I want to take us to a passage today that kind of talks about the importance of believers being as loving as God was. So, we're actually going to read from my favorite book of the Bible, which is 1 John. So, not to be confused with the Gospel John, but rather uh, the book 1 John, as in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And we are going to go to chapter 4 and begin reading at verse 7. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So this passage is pretty straightforward about the importance of not, not only accepting the love that God has given to us, but making sure that we are loving others in the same way and that we really can't uh, be b- true believers of God if we don't put that into practice. So there's a few things in this passage that I really want to highlight today. The first of these things is in verse eight, where it says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is essentially saying that we can't know God without having love in our life. Anyone who does not love does not know God. And talking about knowing God, it's not saying that we don't know of God, but this uh, word know, kind of the definition that's being used here, is the idea of understanding God. Whoever does not love does not understand God. And so this is then saying, you know, if we were to take love, the opposite of love would be hate, And so if any of us in our life are hateful to others, this scripture is saying that if we're hateful, we cannot understand God. If we are unloving to others, we cannot understand God, let alone have a relationship with God, where we are being able to talk to and and listen to each other, how can you have that kind of relationship with God if you can't even begin to understand him? And all of us should desire to understand not only who God is, but the heart that God has so that we can then mimic God's heart. Where God cares for other people, we want to have that same kind of heart for other people. And we can't even begin to go through that process of understanding God's heart if our actions are going against his will. And we can see that it is God's will to love other people because that is what is being commanded in this passage. And so you might say, well, okay, I can still be loving to people. Uh, I'll just love who God loves, and then I can be mean and spiteful and unloving to anyone that God does not love. Well, the problem with that is that God loves everyone. Uh, we can see this in First Timothy chapter 2 verses one through four. It says I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. All people that God wants to be saved. All people that God is essentially rooting for them to succeed at life. And in this passage, even urging believers to pray for all kings and those in authority. God wants all people to be saved. There is no one that God wants to condemn. And so that really makes it impossible to be unloving to anyone without going against will of God. Let me use a sports illustration because I don't know anything about sports and so it's silly every time I try to make one, but let's go with this one. Let's say that you are any kind of sports player out on the field. It could be soccer, football, it could even be basketball or whatever your favorite sport is as long as, you know, there's two different teams. Okay, so you're a player on this field and just as with any player, Whoever that player scores against, whatever team that player scores against must obviously be the opponent. They're the enemy. They're the opposite team. You would never see a player score against their own team. Now in this scenario, imagine that God owns both teams. The problem is you can't really make a shot against either team at that point because God owns both the teams. And so no matter which team you try to score against, what team you try to score those points against, you're going against God's team. Essentially, this is the situation that we're in. Nobody, no matter how much you dislike them, no matter how much they oppose God even, is someone that God wants to fail. Someone that God wants to lose on the gift of salvation. Not one. God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And so if God loves them, we cannot be unloving towards them without going against God, which then makes perfect sense how it would be impossible for us to be hateful to others and still be walking in relationship with God, let alone begin to understand who he is and, and what he is focused on. And so, if we want to deepen our relationship with God, we have to make sure that we are desiring the greatest good for all people. That greatest good being the gift of salvation. That knowledge of the truth that all men are sinners and Christ died to pay the price for their sin. And if there is anyone that we, in our hearts, long for them to stand condemned before God, then we are opposing God's very will. You cannot be hateful to others and understand God. Another portion of this passage that we read that I really like is found in verses 10 and 19, where it talks about how God loved us Before we loved God, before we did anything to seek God's favor, in fact, maybe even stood against God and all that he stands for, denying his very existence, not wanting to hear anything about him or have anything to do with him, even then, God still loved you. God loves us before we love him. And again, if we are then supposed to follow this example that God has set for us, what that means is that the responsibility to show love to other people, that responsibility is always upon us, no matter who that person is. That we don't just have a responsibility to show love to people who are loving and kind to us back, but showing love and kindness to all people regardless of if they like us or not, or regardless if, if we like them or not. It doesn't matter, because God loved all people, regardless of what they thought of God. Are we that same way? Do we show love to all people equally, or only the people that we like? The responsibility to love someone, that responsibility is not upon them. Where we would say, yeah, if you want me to treat you well, then you have to treat me well as well. And that's something that has definitely crept into our culture. You know, the phrase, uh, if, if you don't love me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best, right? It's, it's this idea that kindness being given has to be earned. That you have to earn my kindness. You have to be kind and loving to me before I will be kind and loving to you, too. You know, ignore the haters, get rid of the haters. If somebody's not encouraging you, they're not supporting you, cut them out of your life. You don't need toxic people in your life. This is something that our culture has been pushing and celebrating this idea of only giving love to people who love you in return. But Scripture is showing us that the responsibility to be loving is on us at all times towards everyone. It's not their responsibility to earn your love. It's your responsibility to show them the same kind of love that God showed you before you gave your life to Him. That is the responsibility that we have. And I know people might worry about that and, and say, Well, if I'm if I'm pouring out into the lives of other people, if I'm being loving towards other people, and they aren't being loving in return to me, then I'm going to be completely drained by the end of the day. I'm going to be left empty. If nobody's pouring into my life, I'm not going to be able to keep pouring into other people's life because I will burn out and and I'll have nothing left. I'll have nothing left to give. And so I can't do that. But if you think that you have to require people to love you back, that attitude actually reveals a lack of faith in your heart. Let me explain why. Let's say we took a pitcher of water and an empty cup and we even cut out the bottom of that cup and began to pour water from the pitcher into that cup, what would happen? Well, the cup would have no water to give back to the pitcher, and the pitcher would eventually run out of water and be empty. And that's how we think it works in our life, in our heart, is if we continue to pour out, and nobody's pouring back into us, then eventually we'll be empty but we're missing a key part of that illustration which is the faucet that's that is pouring water into the pitcher as it's pouring water into the cup because the whole time that we are pouring out into other people's lives and we are showing other people love that entire time we are receiving Love and grace and mercy from our Heavenly Father who is pouring into our hearts. And if you think that you have to be poured back into by other people in order not to go empty, then that shows that you do not have faith that God will continue to pour into your life as you need it. And so, therefore, you do not trust God to take care of you on what he is calling you to do. And the problem is if we wait for people to pour into us before we pour into them, remember that people that don't know God, people that don't know Christ, do have a giant hole in their heart. And just like a cup with a hole in the bottom, it doesn't have any opportunity to pour back into that pitcher. And how selfish it is for the pitcher to expect that cup to give something back when it's a perfectly intact pitcher, perfectly intact person, with the love of God being poured into you and someone else that is trying to go, throughout without, go through life without the love of their Heavenly Father. How selfish it is to demand love back from others before you are willing to share with them the love that God is pouring into you. It is a messed up view for a believer to have. To require people To pour into your life before you will pour into them. While we get to receive God's graces and mercies that are new each and every morning. As God pours into us, we then have the responsibility to show the same love that God shows us to other people. Right? That's Spider Man. (laughs) With great power comes great responsibility. As God pours into you, the responsibility to show love is on you, not for other people to earn that love. There should be no requirements at all to earn our love because there was no requirements that were necessary to earn the love of God and the sacrifice of his son for our sin. No requirements at all. So there is no reason why we should require that from other people. So there's something else to think about. <laughs> uh, but before we go, one, one last thing from this passage that, that I want to highlight and bring to our attention. And that's in verse 18, where it talks about um, the relationship with fear and love and how there is no fear in love and perfect love drives out fear and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. All of these sentences show very clearly that, that fear and love are incompatible. That fear and love cannot operate hand in hand. They do not work together. They're like water and oil. They are incompatible. They can't work together. And so if fear and love can't work together in the same person, then that means that we cannot be loving to others while we are in a state of fear. We cannot be loving while we are fearful. And that is because the focus of love and the focus of fear are complete opposites. When you are fearful, your focus is an inward focus. Where well, you're saying, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, I'm worried about it, I'm worried about what's going to happen to me, I need to protect myself, I need to put up shields and defenses and, and be wary of the people around me, I have to take care of myself, that is an inward focus whereas love is an outward focus Well, you're saying what can i do for this person in front of me how can i show them kindness what can i do for them it is an outward focus rather than an inward focus and that's why fear and love can't work together because they are focused in two completely opposite directions And that's why if we're struggling with fear in our life and and just a constant state of fear, not only will that keep us from being able to be loving to other people because we're worried about what's going to happen to us, but the hopeful side of this, not to continue too much from last week, but the hopeful side of this is that then if you are in that state of fear there is a way out which is through love. That as we strive to love to love other people, as we turn our focus outward, that fear will not be able to reside within us. Think of the classic scene of a knight fighting off a dragon to save a princess what is being conveyed in that picture? The dragon is a great threat, not only to the princess, but also to the knight. And if the knight was fearful, he would get as far away from that dragon as possible in order to preserve his own life and his well-being. If he cared about his well-being and put that first, He would be a thousand miles out of sight from that dragon, not wanting to be anywhere close to it. But that's not what the courageous knight does. No, he charges in to face the dragon to save the princess. And in that moment, he is not concerned about his own well-being as much as he is concerned about the well-being of someone else someone he cares about. He's setting his own well-being aside, his own safety aside, and saying that my safety is not as important as showing love, kindness, protection to someone else. This is the attitude that we should really have in our life. Where instead of focusing on our own safety, our own well-being, that inward focus, that selfishness, to instead turn our gaze or focus outward to the people who are around us and say, what can I do for you? How can I be there for you? I don't care if I have to inconvenience myself, if I have to get out of my comfort zone, or if I even have to face a threat in order to protect you, I will do whatever is necessary because I love you, I care about you, God loves you, so I love you too, and I will protect you and take care of you. Your well-being is higher on my priority list than my own well-being. So that's what I'm going to focus on. And that is truly the godly, righteous, honorable thing to do. I remember in college, uh, we were having this, a moral discussion for, uh, you know, about a great moral quandary of if a man is starving to death of hunger, is it wrong for him to steal food from someone who has more than they can eat? in order to save his own life. And I sat in this room and listened to this debate go on for quite a while about whether or not it was okay for this man to steal from someone who had a lot of food in order to keep himself from dying. And after a while, I said, you know, we've been arguing about this for a while and brought up many different points about why this may or may not be okay for him to steal in this scenario. But let's look at it from another perspective. Let's say that this man, who knew he was going to starve to death, decided of his own will that he was not going to steal from this person who had more than they can eat. Because he believed that stealing was wrong regardless of the circumstance. So he made the choice that he would rather starve himself to death than to steal something from someone else. I said, if this man made that choice, would any of us say that it was wrong for him to make that choice? None of us would dare call that call that decision selfish or sinful but we could all agree that it would be an honorable decision see it's so easy to justify unloving actions But an act of selflessness, an act of sacrifice for the sake of someone else, that's not sinful. That is loving. And as a loving action, it is a godly course of action as well. What are we more focused on? Are we more focused on ourselves and what we're worried about, about what's going to happen to us? Or are we focused outward and more concerned about the people who are around us and their well-being than our own well-being? And if we can do that, if we can focus outward in love, we will overcome any fear that we wrestle with. It's a change of perspective, a change of attitude, where you say, this life isn't about me. It's about doing the will of God, and the will of God is to reach other people. See, God set the example for us. He set this example of love through the birth of Jesus. Where Jesus' birth is a testament of God's outward focus on our greatest good, that is given with no requirements of us. And we need to take that act of love and use it as the example of the way that we are to love others. And the love that we have, and especially the love that we have for one another as believers in Christ, is meant to be our primary witness of Jesus to all those who don't know him. And that witnessing to those who are lost is our highest calling in life. God, you know, Jesus specifically gave us the instruction to go into all the world and make disciples. And one of the most effective primary ways that we can witness of who Jesus is and what he has done in our life is in the way that we love one another. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says, A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. if we want to have a deep relationship with God, understand who God is and all that he desires, we cannot do it and be hateful at the same time. It has to be through love. And that responsibility of love rests upon our shoulders alone. And we can't act lovingly if we're too busy being fearful. But when we do show the love of God to one another, it shines a light into the rest of the world of the love of God and opens doors for us to share that salvation, good news, gospel message with them, that they too are loved, not only by us, but by their creator who wants to save them from the price of their sin. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A new command we have been given. Love one another. And as we celebrate this Christmas time and the birth of Jesus, let's keep that message in our hearts as well about the thankfulness we have for the love that God has shown us and letting that be the example that we take that love that we have been given and we go out into the world and show that same unconditional love to everyone else that we come across. Love one another. This has been another Sermon in the Pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions for me, feel free to contact me through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page or email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And to help get the message out there, I encourage you to share this with other people. But until next time thank you for taking the time to listen, and I pray that God will bless you as you go throughout your day.